what if we remove the barrier of cocktails being the, the check killer and invite people in to enjoy an appetizer, an entree, and, you know, get a margarita for a buck. And I think people needed that. Welcome to a very special edition of Bitter Unit, a podcast hosted by the TailgateSociety.com and sponsored by Deadeye Barbecue Sauce, the best goddamn barbecue sauce in the known universe. You can get it at Fairways and Hy-Vees in the Midwest at Amazon Prime and LocallyMarket.com. Tim, we have guests. We do. We have plural, guests. plural guests. For the first time, more than one, um, and somehow or another, these guys are your friends, from what I hear. So, tell us about them, introduce them, and let them refute that fact. <laughs> sure. So today we are joined by Mr. Patrick Kirk and Mr. Nate Grover. They are the VP and Director of Beverage at Applebee's. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of working them, working with them in a previous uh, life at the headquarters of Buffalo Wild Wings, uh, where for a while there it was it was the three of us kind of planning a lot of beverage stuff, and then we slowly added a few more people. But uh, we we worked on a whole lot of beer trainings, marketing initiatives, all those types of things. Uh, so it's good to have them on. It's good to see them. Uh, virtually or through a window. But, uh, <laughs> We're yeah. damn glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. And that's correct. We are the vice president and director of beverage at Applebee's. It's it's a it's a co job where there's two people that have the same exact title with vice president and director in the same title. So uh, we're we're a uh, we're a two man band there. So do you Rochambeau to the settled disputes? Uh, yeah, I think we do sometimes, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or we just talk about it till the workday's over and then we leave and don't solve anything. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Things don't change, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. So, uh, why don't we just start off and you guys can can tell us a little bit about uh, what's new, what's exciting at, at Applebee's for the bar program. <laughs> during these <laughs> during, during these times, <laughs> new new and exciting is uh, just opening the restaurants again, right? or get open the dining rooms again. Right now, I mean it's it's pretty slow going. I mean, other than takeout, it's uh, you know we're slowly creeping uh, back to opening our dining rooms, and uh, you know the figuring out the capacity limits and how many people can come back in the restaurants and uh, the bars aren't open yet, which is kind of a bummer. Uh, it's just the dining rooms only. So uh, it's sort of a wait and see approach. So new and exciting is just simply opening the doors right now. Yeah. Do you have uh, any idea of how many locations you guys have been able to get open? Yeah. So we've done a, Applebee's has done a great job of keeping the lights on and everything running well in terms of takeout. That's, uh, almost more than 90% of the restaurants have stayed open uh, throughout this entire crisis. And uh, as of right now, um, 
we are back to north of over a thousand that are now operating in, under some capacity with dine-in. Uh, so that's exciting and very encouraging. And, and we think even by the middle of June, it'll be near 100%. So progress. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Nate, what have, you, what have you guys done during the shutdown? Like it, with the bars not open, are there places where there's a beer to go or that type of takeout program or, or have you guys pretty much not even been able to, to do anything there? No, I think that's what's been a, you know, beneficial during this time is that, um, you know, the on-premise I think was slow to figure out alcohol to go. And very quickly we were forced to, uh, to get into that space, you know, whether, whether we wanted to or not. And, you know, what, what helped us was that across the country states started loosening their legalities and offering that opportunity and so, yeah, Applebee's, along with a lot of other restaurant, you know, concepts, tried to figure that out. And so, you know, we're a largely franchise system. Um, I think we're about 95%. And so our franchisees moved very quick to, uh, you know, figure out the right assortment and, and how to do it. And they, they did a nice job as Patrick said, a lot of them, you know, stayed open during that time doing to go and then adding, you know, alcohol to that. So we... We certainly got into that game. We tried to, um, you know, get, get get that available on our website just for uh, ease of ordering as, um, you know, having a manager try to provide your selection and um, and take an order and run back and do that all at the, at the window, at the car window is a little cumbersome. So, you know, we certainly uh, got into that game and I think, you know, hopefully that'll pay dividends down the road. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I remember when we were just trying out, you know, proof of concepting that at Buffalo Wild Wings to not necessarily some great success early on, but you know, none of that really is. Uh, it's been fun to see here, certainly that you know we've loosened that up for restaurants as well too, which you know you guys know Minnesota's kind of notoriously stingy about that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's been good to see. Yeah. It's great to see the pent up demand for wanting alcohol to go. We're seeing that. We're hearing about it. And what's interesting is the the greatest limitation in some of these cases is our ability to, first of all, provide it online as a way to order it. And second of all, you know, there's some tricky stuff when it comes to delivery and third party and how you ID people. So um, the laws are loosening. We feel that there's greater demand to uh, sell more alcohol to go. There's just a lot of back-end stuff we've got to figure out right now. So I I think that we're, we're we're sort of on, at the dawn of this new way of maybe uh, being able to get alcohol in people's hands. So we uh, have been ordering out basically every Friday night, right? Pick up during this thing from somewhere. I mean, we did a local restaurant here in Everett last night and uh, got alcohol to go for the first time. They had margaritas. And the way they did it was the little airplane sized bottles mm-hmm. of vodka and then the margarita mix in a plastic cup separate and then you use your own ice when you got home so you didn't water it down in between which makes sense for you know you don't have you have a completely sealed vessel in the alcohol that you're you're uh, selling quote unquote and the other stuff is you know pour it together yourself type of situation obviously the fancy glass and the salt on the rim and stuff from a margarita wasn't available but hey <laughs> Alcohol is alcohol when it comes down to it. Yeah, you know what's interesting, too? It's funny you mentioned uh, getting the margarita. Um, we're seeing a lot more um, interest 
uh, and uh, both by our guests who come and order uh, alcohol to go and by the by our, our restaurants our franchisees to do more with alcohol to go it seems something where with it with cocktails you know you have your own unique mixes your own way of making margaritas or a bahama mama um you um it's not something that you know not everyone in their fridge at home has the 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 ingredients to make a, a margarita so it's very convenient to go and order that to go and, and order and enjoy it for a meal there's a lot of barriers we're actually seeing to having that same sort of enthusiasm for ordering beer to go because beer in the package at a restaurant is the same as beer in the package at the grocery store or the liquor store so what's the incentive for anyone to want to order beer uh, with their food to go other than convenience compared to uh, alcohol to or uh, cocktails to go so Real competition there. Where right now, I would say that the cocktails um, are sort of winning on that front. Are you guys traditionally more of a of a cocktail bar than than a, a beer bar? It's pretty close. I don't know if I know the exact off the. I'm trying to think. It's we're we're probably um, our alcohol mix is is probably forty five percent spirits and forty percent beer. How many? Tap lines do you guys usually have? We've talked kind of earlier. I, I've given my two cents about what an ideal tap lineup is. We talked to, you know, a, uh, a brewer uh, or the owner of, of a brewery about what the ideal tap lineup is and kind of different for each situation. But, uh, well, Tim, I'm glad, yeah. Applebee's is the mecca of draft beer. Typically, you find between 100 and 200 taps rotating <laughs> constantly. Uh, oh, something fresh and new. Uh, Nate, you want to go ahead and take that one? <laughs> uh, yeah, so we as we moved from Buffalo Wild Wings over to Applebee's, yeah, we lost some some draft lines, Tim. So we, you know, we were in a playground of around thirty at, at Buffalo Wild Wings, and uh, Applebee's is most of our, our restaurants are at eight. Uh, now we, you know, we've got some plans or had plans prior to this to increase that. Uh, you know, 10, 12, 14, which is probably a more ideal range, but uh, we kind of describe it as small but mighty, I guess, Tim. No, I mean, I don't like that. I, I said that I think, you know, my ideal is eight. I'd rather have eight lines I know are clean and, and beer that's fresh than having too many and having beer die on the vine out there as well. So, Hey, that's uh, what I've always said. When you only have six taps uh, and you do the volume that we do, Applebee's, you're always going to get a fresh beer. There's no question about it. So what's it like, uh, you know, you certainly said like 90-some percent are franchise, which is significantly different than, than Buffalo Wild Wings. Uh, but what's it like to kind of work on uh, those regional beers and help support those franchisees uh, as far as their draft lineup? Nate, you want to take that one? Bud Light and Re- Miller Light gets pretty regional. I'm just kidding. It's uh, there's a lot of collaboration that goes into most decisions at Applebee's, and uh, you know, Patrick and I, our job is to work on the the programs and promotions and mandates that touch all of them. So you know, we've uh, you know, we've, we we certainly have, are steering more towards the mainstream and some of the those traditional sort of mainstream brands, um, and then you know, trying to work with our franchisees to. Um, you know, have the, the popular regional craft beer um, that our, our guests are looking for. Again, you know, we're, we have a small but mighty lineup. So as you, you know, as you 
have your Miller Lite, Coors Light, Bud Light, Blue Moon, you know, and go down the line. There's there's only a couple taps, so we try to work with them to, to make sure they have the right beer on tap. And, and you know, our guests too, like a beer drinker, the general beer drinker has evolved, and they're looking for, um, you know, flavor and, and, and taste and in and, and different craft beers as well as, you know, we're a neighborhood bar, so we've got to have that connection, and craft beer certainly allows us to, to do that in, in some ways. So can I offer some provocative thoughts here, a new a new way to think about this? This is untested. On, I haven't bounced this off anyone before. I figure this is a great opportunity. I got some, I heard I've got a beer dummy, a beer novice, and a beer expert on this uh, podcast. Is that, is that what I understand? Yep, you understand correctly. All right, I'm the beer beer bullshitter, and, and Nate's the beer, what, Nate, you got to give, come on, you need a title for yourself on this one. All right, give me a minute, and I'll think about it. Okay, all right. <laughs> so... Through this shutdown of our draft systems, with with everything that's that's happened with COVID and the the mess that that ensued with what do you do with the full kegs and the half partially used kegs? How do you return them? Um, and it's oh, and this is on top of the the debate we've always had. What's the right number? Is it six? Is it eight? Is it twelve? Is it thirty? That's been a question that we've had for you know the the. The, the 15 plus years I've been working uh, in beer in the restaurant industry, Nate and I have debated it and agonized it over um, every year. It seems like it comes up. And what if we take the time now to think about why are we so fixated on draft in the first place? What difference does it make if we serve a 20 ounce beer to any person at a table, whether it came out of a can or a draft? Do they really know the difference? I think you would be surprised. There is a very large opportunity for beer to get oxidized in the package that it is significantly less likely to happen in the, in a uh, a keg. And right. I, the, the beers in your cooler are getting hit with UV light all the time as well. So you've got a chance for that, that 3MBT that I talked about in the previous podcast. Uh, so you've got some some opportunities. They're they're not as well sealed as, as a keg. A, a bottle of Crown is definitely going to have some oxygen ingress and, and CO two egress. Uh, I think you know as the consumer starts to get savvier and savvier, I think some of them are going to notice. Now, is Aaron going to notice? I don't know. Well, let me let me just chime in on that, Tim. Um, <laughs> likely no I probably wouldn't if you gave me a Budweiser out of a draft and a Budweiser out of a bottle I'm probably not going to tell you the difference um, but it's an interesting question and I think of it more on the, the, the business side the dollars and cents side as a sales guy you know I, I gotta think that your profit margins and stuff on a draft are greater than they are on a bottle so for every bottle that gets dropped and broken, your losses are greater than a beer that gets poured out. And so there's got to be a, a balance of some sort, I would think, in, in that. Because if you go all uh, away from the taps altogether, you know, then your your expenses go up, your cost of goods go right. up considerably. So to maximize profits, you got to have the draft system. But I think that's where having the right number of taps is really what makes or breaks you. Right. Um, so I'll be more, I'll be more specific. If you, yeah. So there's no question. If you're going to go through 
you know, if you can go through a keg a week of anything, it, it makes sense to put it on draft. But let's say you have your three or four highest volume kegs. You can put those in the keg cooler. And then instead of maxing out, you know, your number of taps for whatever reasons, uh, you know, if you get up eight is a pretty good number for us, eight to 10. But let's say you did your three to four best taps, but then you expanded your draft or your, sorry, your, you would expand your beer list uh, beyond eight. You could, you could show that you could, you could pour uh, 15 different 20 ounce beers and don't use the word or label it draft, but just, you could pour a 20 ounce beer what if I filled my keg cooler full of the stadium 24 ounce cans or the 19.2s? Then I can act, the bartender can crack open a fresh can, pour it in a 20 ounce beer glass, serve it at the table. And in some cases, there's probably a little extra beer left over if you're using a 24 ouncer. And you're, it feels like you're getting a good beer experience. You're pouring it in the glass. You're training your bartenders to present the beer in the same exact way. And in, a, in some ways, you're sort of expanding your choices in the same size without having to bring in more kegs or run more lines. So the only other thing that I would say about that, Nate did a good job of mentioning that a way that you'd be connected to your community, the way you guys can be a neighborhood bar is by having a lot of that, not a lot, mm-hmm. of, but also having that, that local craft uh in your, your restaurants as well. And I can tell you that there are a lot of, of even good sized craft breweries that aren't packaging in a can or a bottle. Yeah. Uh, and some breweries as big as stone that are, are having uh, beers that are draft only, that they're not even putting into a package. So you might be missing out on, on, uh, I think they did eventually put it into a package for a while. Their fair movie lions wasn't, was draft only. So mm-hmm. I, I think that would be the other thing that, to consider is, is if, if you're going to reserve that for your more esoteric styles, you might find yeah. yourself missing out on some of those awesome beers. By the way, I don't have any budget right now to pay you guys consulting fees. Just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, yeah. I would also throw in there just from, uh, we're talking about going out to a bar and to a restaurant. That's a social experience. You're going with your, maybe your softball team, your, Maybe in the next decade, you're going to watch baseball or football again. You know, you can do the buckets of beers, but a pitcher is a lot more fun and seems like a lot more economical. Uh, I, You know, the buckets of beer sound great, but usually people don't do that. But like yeah. pitchers of beer, everyone, you go out one night, everyone grabs one pitcher between the four of you, you have a good time, you get home safely. And I just think that's something, and that's also something from the restaurant standpoint, you're bringing out pictures that you have to watch, but everyone's using the same glass for the four, three, four hours that they're watching a game. You don't have to constantly wash the glasses that yeah. you would if they were drinking straight from the tap. Or, But then again, maybe that's an argument for more bottles because you just throw the bottle and recycle and get rid of it and wash it out and call it good. But yeah, yeah that's something I kind of thought of right away. Is I, it's, I can't remember if every Applebee's does pictures or if that's local if some local restaurants aren't allowed to do it because of local regulations with the government. But, but yeah, that's definitely something I look forward to doing again, hopefully soon here is being able to share a bucket of stuff with your buddies. That's right. Yeah, that's what, yeah, that's uh, no, I appreciate that. Um, uh, pictures are sort of hit or miss within our, within the Applebee's system, but yeah, overall, this is exactly the type of, thinking we're sort of just sort of entering into right now. No, we don't know the answers, but we just know that it's hard to expand uh, uh, draft beer. And we know that there's a penchant for it. And, um, but we also know our, uh, the, 
the kegs that sit on the eighth, ninth, and tenth lines don't move with great frequency. So we're just trying to get creative and think of new ways to deliver a great beer experience. So it's uh, this is sort of just kind of the start of thinking of different ways. So so then the ideal situation is maybe you have seven taps, <laughs> six that are six that are full all the time with the standard. Yeah. And then you have one available for that craft beer that Tim's talking about that's not available in cans or stupid ass crawlers or whatever they want to say today. See, you just problem solved. You abs him. I did. You can't seven. <laughs> the right number is seven. Yeah. So I didn't know we were going to get biblical in this podcast, but here we are. Yeah. Problem solved. <laughs> I'm a problem solver. I just, you know. You're yeah, a problem uh, causer, Aaron. Yeah, I was going to well, say, your your hatred of crowlers is, is falling on deaf ears with some of us here. So <laughs> It's just a dumb name. I'm sorry. It is. <laughs> it, it's, a great, it's a great way to get beer out there, and it stays a lot fresher than, uh, the, than the uh, sometimes, you know, glass containers can, depending on how you feel it. But, yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of crowlers because I've got two beers there. I open it up, and it's done, and done by the end of the night, so. And it seems to stay fresh. I don't know. Maybe Tim can lie right on that. But I think as long as it's sealed correctly, which was an issue for a while when Crawlers first came out, it seems to be all right. Yeah, there's there's still some people. There's As Crawlers have grown in popularity, then you have more um, companies that are making seamers. Uh, actually, so Nate and Patrick can, can talk about this because I, I think it was – so it was Oscar Blues that came up with that. And didn't they come pitch that to us? Like very early on with that technology before that even became popular at, at breweries, right? Yeah. Yeah, we had, uh, you know, at Buffalo Wild Wings and at Applebee's, we, we have a, a test bar. And I think for a long time, we we were fortunate enough to, um, to have a, a crawler machine that, that those guys provided. And obviously, you know, working at Buffalo Wild Wings, you're – Serving more draft beer than anybody in the country, so you get you get afforded a lot of those opportunities. And um, there, those guys are great. I, just a side note on Oscar Blues, great guys. They're uh, the guy that called on us. His name was Jeff, but he referred to himself as Farmer Jeff because he <laughs> he moved into sales from riding on the tractor, and um, and so yeah, a great guy. I don't think he wore overalls to our first meeting, which was a step in the right direction, but. But yeah, they provided us a, a crawler machine, and we had four taps in the test bar that uh, we played around with it, and you know never really got it moving into our restaurants, but had a lot of fun with it in in our test bar. Yeah, I was. We were talking last week. Uh, the guest that we had was the VP of marketing for Deschutes, and yep. he had started off his career at PBR. Mm-hmm. We were talking uh, last week about uh, those PBR reps. So they they could have just been. Uh, seed reps, right? They could have been farmers. Yeah. They they were totally not aware. Of, they were the opposite of the hipster that was drinking their beer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's kind of funny to to yeah to see those guys. Uh, how a certain segment of of that beer sales could just as well sell you seed corn or soybeans. Yeah. So Jeff might have done that in a previous life. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so this is a beer podcast, but I think I would be remiss to have you guys on if we didn't talk about some of your more recent, well-known cocktail specials. 
uh, our producer, Mr. David Graff, uh, wanted to thank you personally for one of your your affordable uh, promotions recently. You are uh, most welcome. <laughs> but uh, uh, what, where did those type of things come from? Because you guys got a lot of, of you know, social media buzz and things like that. Not necessarily all of it was kind, but it all worked well for you guys, I think. Uh, I, I used to love to read some of the responses people were having, and I would laugh my ass off thinking about you guys. Uh, but it's it, it was it was a lot of fun to see some of those things, like like the Long Island iced teas and the the mar- margaritas and what else. I don't know what else you what all you guys did, but uh, uh, we've, uh, we've, talk a little bit about that too. Yeah, we've run the gamut from sort of your tried and true Bahama Mama, Long Island iced tea, uh, margarita to just kind of fun, quirky, like a dollar zombie during um, October time frame. Um, we've had a lot of fun with it. Um, it's been a, uh, it's been great from a, a marketing newsworthy, buzzworthy standpoint, but also just genuinely just a, a great outlet to have a, a fun time. And um not trying to, um, you know, not trying to be too cute with it other than just realizing that there's a, there, we realized there was a, a pent up demand for this sort of offer. And we were sitting around maybe in the back half of the summer of 2017. And it felt like not only Applebee's, but casual dining was really kind of trudging along and highly competitive, um, sales environment's tough and it, you kind of get in this repetitive mode and, and, you know, Tim, Nate, both of, you know, the three of us, we kind of felt that, that every year your calendar that you plan for different types of promotions and what you're going <laughs> to focus on gets really repetitive. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, a franchisee in Texas had started promoting a dollar Rita uh, on certain nights. And then it sort of kind of kept growing and we saw how popular it was. And, you talk to other restaurants and their franchisees throughout the country and you start to do the back of the napkin math and you're thinking, this makes no sense at all. How are you supposed to make any money on your most highly profitable item in the entire restaurant in spirits and give it away, not give it, give it, uh, sell it for a dollar. So let's be clear. We're making money on this, but at a dollar, the margins are, are, are thin. And, um, we felt it was the right time in Applebee's, uh, you know, where Applebee's was in the current situation, we felt it was the right times in terms of trying to be disruptive. And we just flat out took a flyer on it and didn't hold back. We went big. We, we, we put advertising behind it. We put training behind it. We, we bought glassware. And we said, we are going to tell the world that you can come to Applebee's and get a dollar margarita for the month of October. And then we were both. In a beer, in a beer mug. There's, there's your beer connection, Tim, for the podcast. Oh, I like it. Good. Way to bring it and, around, Nate. I appreciate yeah. that. And I'm glad Nate brought up the beer mug because that's just the epitome of this whole dollar drink program. Nothing makes sense. <laughs> Except it works. Yeah. And um, we quickly saw how we did not anticipate the popularity. So we, we had not planned to do it uh, other than that, just that, that flash in the pan. But then we went uh, back to just kind of normal course, the way we did things in November after that one month uh, period. 
And then we quickly assembled a lot of the, the leaders of Applebee's and uh, and our franchisees, and we had a really long discussions about what we think this this means. And it was at that point we said, "Hey, you know, we need a purpose for this thing. We, it's just not we're just not selling dollar drinks to sell dollar drinks. There has to be something behind it." So we at first we called it a neighborhood appreciation month. You know, uh, um, telling guests thank you. This is a great way to come in and enjoy Applebee's and you know kind of give back. I mean, it's a way it's, it's giving back. Sorry, I don't, Nate. Interrupt me if I if you if you think of some things here. I I don't want to make this too too long winded, but um, truly from an economical standpoint, what we learned is that I think casual dining faced a little bit of a reality check, and that's do you realistically think a middle um, income family uh, or a, a couple that's just out of college or college students or anyone who's um, you know sort of working paycheck to paycheck. Do we realistically think that we should be selling them, you know, eight or nine dollar burgers and eight or nine dollar cocktails? It just it just breaks the bank all the time. And so we said, hey, what if we remove the barrier of cocktails being the the check killer and invite people in to enjoy an appetizer, an entree, and you know, get a margarita for a buck. And I think people needed that. They needed to be able to not feel that they had pressure to manage the check, uh, pressure to worry about what the, um, you know, how much the meal was going to cost them. And so, you know, we just said, you know, let's have fun with it. And so from there, the neighborhood drink of the month was born and we have not looked back since. Yeah. No, that's good, Patrick. I, yeah. It's been a lot of, a lot of fun. Uh, we've learned a lot. We've had some, we've had some beers in the program, Tim. So you again, bring it back to the beard podcast. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. We've we've uh, tried to hone in on on the right um, offerings, and you know, as, as you know, you probably can look at the, the last couple that we pre COVID is you know we we sort of settled in on a dollar cocktail, and that's what gets people excited. And I think at the end of the day, what we we tried to do was just not take ourselves too seriously. And you know, we're uh, we're Applebee's. We're talking like Patrick mentioned, uh, sort of middle America, and. You know, they want to have a good time and, and come out and celebrate and, and have a burger and, you know, and enjoy a, a, an affordable cocktail. But it's been a lot of fun. I think, you know, if we shed, you know, put some, you know, light into to the conversation, there's been some, you know, we obviously look at the top performers. So you've got your margaritas and dollar long iced teas. We've had $2 blue moons. And, you know, so you, you look at your top sellers, um, but one that just to, provide some insight to this group. You know, one that didn't make the cut was, uh, you know, sangria sell really well at, at Applebee's. Um, and then early on we were going after this dollar naming convention. So dollar, re, uh, dollar, uh, Rita, dollar lit. And, uh, we're in our, in the test bar in the boardroom. I can't remember, but, uh, we said, well, Hey, sangria sell really well. What if we did a dollar Rhea? And, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounded too close to other things that yeah. feeling. So we moved away from that one, even though things really well for us. So, so I got. It's funny that you mentioned that and how sometimes you spitball ideas, and it seems like a good idea at the time, and somebody catches something like that. We did that uh, at the company I work for. Um, we do sanitation and chemicals and stuff for restaurants and nursing homes and all of that kind of stuff. You know, we, we decided to go after nursing homes one time and make that a focal point for our sales. And, uh, 
we decided that we were going to do the kick the bucket campaign (laughs) (laughs) because we we typically do most of our chemicals in a solid capsulated form rather than a liquid bucket. And, uh, and nobody caught it until we had like printed pamphlets and stuff. And it was like nursing homes and kick the bucket. Oh, that's awesome. Maybe not the best choice of words. Uh, to, to use here. That's funny. But that reminded me of that. That was a few years ago. Um, so I have, I have three, three more questions for you guys as we get close to needing to wrap up this portion before we go into our tasting here. Oh. Um, and, and the first question, um, it may seem like a silly question, um, or maybe it's just two questions, but um, wine on tap. Do you guys, I, I don't, do you have that at Applebee's and have you considered it? Is it something I've seen in places that I'm like, really wine on tap? And, you know, I assume the economics would be similar to beer on tap versus bottles, but. Yep. We have, uh, we have had franchisees that have tried it and they bring in like little six barrels and put it right underneath the counter. So it's nice, quick and efficient. Um, our percentage of wine sales is low. Uh, I, I was even surprised when I joined Applebee's that it's, it, it's a, it, you would think you would get a lot more wine drinkers, but we don't. Um, I think that's part of our problem of not offering the right selection and, and promoting it enough. Um, but, uh, you know, what's interesting in the wine world that we're seeing a lot more of is, is the bulk, uh, like you get like the five liter boxes with the built-in spigots. Uh, those seem to be proving out to be far, even more efficient, both for, uh, price and spacing too. So it's easy to throw a five liter box um, in some nook or cranny versus trying to dedicate the space for uh, for putting wine on tap. So we've we've really started to focus more on bulk wine in more convenient ways to, to pour it. Uh, and so that's really pushed uh, the wine on tap more out of the picture. No, well, I, ju- I just had seen that and it was kind of one of those things I was curious about. My wife has also gone to bulk wine. That's half of our refrigerator. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Can I hop in on that for a minute? We're speaking yeah. of marketing and all that. Uh, funny enough, uh, if anyone heard of Rev- anyone remember or still know uh, white truck, pink truck, or red truck wine at mm-hmm. all? Vaguely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. My uncle was behind marketing that. He was the one that says, hey, what if we just put this in what looks like a little keg? And then we put a spick on in front of it, like the box wine, see what we do. And it just blew up. And then it did really well. And he was told to not work there anymore and started his own franchise. But yeah, so <laughs> that's something he was asked to do a certain amount of money in a year. And he doubled that. And he still got rid of him anyway. Stupid reasons with egos and all that, which I, you can only imagine there'd be egos involved in marketing. No way. Right. So, but yeah, I, but no, that's just I, kind of something funny that my, my freaking uncle lives in San Francisco now. Like he came up with that idea. I've wow. never used truck and wine in the same sentence, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was very it was popular. Very, for but, sure, but not yeah. truck. <laughs> but then, so, so the final question is, is the question we ask everybody that comes on the pod. Yeah. So you guys can, can do this however you want, whoever wants to go first. Um, if you are stranded on a desert island, give me three, four, five beers that you absolutely – need to have with you. you Nate, you go, Nate, you go first. I'm, I'm, I, I will refill while you go. Yeah. Tim, can okay, I, and I think, uh, listen to the last, last podcast and similar, I, I appreciate you guys giving us three, four, five 
because uh, yeah, I think your I think your your desert deserted island beers change over time and w- with the season. So you know, I so I live in out, out in LA. Um, my beer selections have, have changed since moving from Minnesota uh, a couple years ago. But you know, for me, I go back to the ones that you know had a there was a good memory behind them, and uh, or whenever I had that you know that first one, they just it just blew me away, and so. Uh, you know, for, for the podcast, I thought uh, what I'd do is, you know, pick some memory beers that, that sort of stood out. So, uh, you know, in honor of, you know, working with Tim, um, I'm going to, the first one I'm going to pick is Avery IPA and sort of why that one hits home for me is, you know, great, great IPA first and foremost. Um, but Patrick, Tim and I, uh, I think it was just us three, um, we were going through the Cicerone program. And I think that's why we had Avery in the test bar. Uh, but, but why that kind of hits home for me is we just had one of those crappy weeks and it was Friday afternoon, you know, us three were, we're still at the, the office and we just all looked at each other and like, Hey, should we go have a beer in the test bar? And, uh, I just remember we poured that one and we were working on a 12 ounce, uh, glass and we each poured ourselves, uh, some beer in that 12 ounce class. And I don't know, man, that just, that was one of the best tasting beers I've, I've had maybe ever. Um, and so that one, that one certainly hit home for me. And then, you know, if I'm on a deserted Island, I got to have some, you know, some, uh, sunny weather beers. So, you know, I, I certainly will pull a, a Miller light or a Mick Ultra every once in a while. So I'll, I'll probably bring one of those. Um, Modelo Especial is, is another one, sort of one of those lighter beers. Um, and then maybe I'll finish up with one I really miss, and I don't I don't find myself craving as much here in, in LA with the, the hotter weather as I'm sitting in 100 degree weather today. But uh, Liney's Creamy Dark was always one that in the when the fall winter hit in Minnesota and the weather cooled that 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 one would just seem to hit the spot. So um, so maybe those are my four that I'd I'd bring at this day and time for this podcast. Nice, those all sound sound great, uh, David. By the way. You're responsible for meeting up with him and buying him a beer for being on the podcast since you live in LA now. Oh, yeah, um, yay! So, right. yeah, go so Chargers. Make make sure you get that done for us. Um, put it on my tab. I'll pay you <laughs> Tuesday for a hamburger today or whatever. So, um, but uh, yeah. So now it's your turn, gentlemen. I've been in uh, the restaurant business for. Uh, 18, 19 years now, working uh, working the beer list for three different concepts. So if I have five choices, it's going to be one Anheuser-Busch, one Molson Coors, one Heineken, <laughs> one Boston beer, and one local craft. But if someone like Molson or Anheuser-Busch wants to throw in a book of matches or a pocket knife, they probably get an extra beer. <laughs> and that's my answer. And I guess, uh, and I guess if, if Patrick is the beer bullshitter and <laughs> <laughs> trio for 10 years. I guess I'll be the Cerveza straight shooter. Oh, that's almost a pro wrestling nickname right there. <laughs> How about that? Awesome. Um, anything you guys, uh, JT or Tim, want to ask before we uh, take a short break here? I guess if, since it is the topic at hand for the past three months, um, 
Is it been more of a local issue or state issue with the COVID and all that as far as getting things open again? Is it very state to state or is it more kind of local municipality, city to city? We've been following the state guidelines okay. very, very closely. So as as states make their announcements for what phase they're at and what's permissible, our restaurants follow suit. And I know a lot of restaurants have sort of a lot of restaurant concepts and then individual owners have taken, uh, they've kind of assessed their own situation and decided when they want to open. Our, our, we, we have done a phenomenal job, Applebee's, and a lot of credit to our leadership for uh, proactively talking to each other, hosting town, town hall calls um, at first twice a week and now once a week uh, uh, to help them be prepared as possible so that the moment uh, the possibility is available to open, they're, uh, they're prepared and ready. So you'll see Applebee's be right on the, right on the front lines of, of not only opening, but I, I think you'll find that uh, a pretty high level of sophistication when it comes to the right procedures and the right things to say and the right practices when you go in the restaurant. Cool. Uh, we're going to take a quick break um, in order to plug our sponsor. And also I want to remind you to check out the other podcasts on the tailgate society, tailgatesociety.com, get them on iTunes or Apple podcasts or wherever the hell you get podcasts at these days, Stitcher, Spotify, et cetera, Spotify. Um, but uh, tailgatesociety.com, rate, review, subscribe. Tell us how stupid we are. We don't care. Just put something in there. Um, and uh, Sports and Corks uh, do a great job of talking about sports on that. Um, Culture Check's doing a really great series right now on the Batman movies, which is fantastic. Uh, we're not that drunk. Uh, Matinee Baseball just did uh, Breaking Away, I think, is the latest podcast they did, if you remember that movie from back in the day, which is fantastic. Uh, so check all of those out. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, the tailgatesociety.com. And now here's a message from our sponsor, Deadeye Barbecue Sauce. This Tailgate Society podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Deadeye Premium Barbecue Products. Born in Iowa and made in the heartland, Deadeye is your go-to source for everything barbecue. Sauces, seasonings, you name it. They've made a science out of great grilling flavor. It's more than a sauce. Whether you're cooking sliders, dogs, steak, or chicken, Deadeye has the explosive flavor needed to make every dish delicious. Try a splash of their sweet and smoky original recipe or turn up the heat with their Magnum Edition barbecue sauce. Both flavors are available in seasonings as well as sauces. So pick your favorite and prepare your taste buds for an unforgettable eating experience. Deadeye Premium Barbecue products are available at Fairway, Hy-Vee, Amazon, or at DeadeyeBBQ.com. And welcome back to Bitter Units. Uh, our beer this week is Lagunitas Little Something Something Ale. Tim, as usual, tell us about this beer. Sure. So, I mean, I'll, I'll start off talking a little bit about the brewery. And uh, Nate, you can jump in here. I know you actually worked pretty closely with Lagunitas uh, on a beer for Buffalo Wild Wings a few years back. So you yeah. probably know more than I do about this brewery. But uh, Lagunitas is, is, was founded in uh, the early 90s, I want to say 1993, by a guy named Tony McGee who has a, a reputation for being uh, outspoken is probably the way that I'll put it. Uh, it. 
kind of jumping on that early home brewing scene of, of the, the 90s and kind of that second wave of craft brewing. So they've been around, you know, roughly around the same as, as New Belgium, or, or kind of around that wave of craft beer a little bit before Stone. But uh, I, they have had kind of an interesting history. They, we were joking during the break about about marijuana, but they actually have uh, a history with a lot of weed references back in, in oh boy, this is probably 15 years ago. Uh, the police actually did uh, like an undercover sting there. Like they were going, they used to always throw these these parties uh, on Fridays after work, and uh, the police were going undercover because they had heard that there was you know cannabis usage at these parties, and so they went in there to try to bust them selling weed. Uh, the problem is that they couldn't get anyone there that was willing to sell it. They just wanted to give it to them. <laughs> All of this is one communal culture. And so they never pressed any charges. They, they, you know, they, they shut down Lagunitas for, and it wasn't even that long. It was like a month or something like that, but they shut them down. And, and so, uh, you know, Lagunitas even made a beer called Undercover Shutdown in honor <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they didn't even press any charges because they couldn't get anyone selling or distributing weed. It was all being shared. But uh, so, you know, you have that culture there. And, you know, part of why I tell that story is this beer in particular. But, you know, a lot of those things, Tony was really all about making IPAs and and a lot of beers. Um that they have are kind of in that vein and they definitely have, there's a lot that have probably some notes of marijuana. If you've ever smelled that before in your life, I'm sure none of you have. Nope, uh, but uh, yeah. So uh, I, with this beer, the, the little something, something, it's definitely one that they refer to uh I've seen them refer to it as, as a hoppy pale wheat. I've heard them refer to this as an IPA. In general, they call it an IPA. I think on the bottle right now, the most current art says uh, that it's an IPA, but it does, it, it is sort of like a hoppy uh, crystal visin in a way. It's definitely hop forward. It's 60 some IBUs. I don't remember off the top of my head, but you know, we should point two. 64.2, yeah, which I don't know if they're actually measuring that or not. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, you know, that's that's pretty good for, you know, certainly the hoppiest beer we've had so far on, uh, on the podcast as far as bitterness goes. Now you're seeing a lot of people press over 70. Some people claim over 100. You can't really perceive that at any point. Um, so you're definitely getting that. It's It's... Uh, yeah, healthy. What is it? Seven two ABV. I don't have a bottle in front of me. Seven point five, and it actually says sixty four point two zero IBU. So they didn't even adjust the Excel spreadsheet to reduce the decimal point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's one of those things that um, uh, you know this this beer has been uh, kind of a staple for them for a while. The, the brewery has certainly gone through a few changes back around 2015 is when they started 
being sold first, it was like 50%. Now it's 100% owned by, by Heineken. So that allowed them to have capital to open up. Well, I guess technically they opened up uh, their Chicago location as a way to get fresher beer to the, the eastern half of the United States. Um, but And it was a way for Tony McGee to get a billion dollars. Yes, exactly. They so, sold for a dollar, which is impressive. Or half a bill, half a bill, half a bill. Jesus. It's, it's, it, they sold for, I think it was, it was like two to three times more than Goose Island sold to, a, to AB. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely one of those where it's been interesting to, to see the company evolve, but this beer pretty much feels to me that, you know, I've been drinking it pretty, pretty similar to, to what, I remember. Uh, Nate, do you have anything you kind of want to add about Lagunitas? Yeah, um, sure. A couple things. Yeah, I've gotten to, I think I've gotten to go to all three breweries. I know uh, Petaluma is where they started. Uh, Chicago was mentioned. They opened up uh, another one in Azusa. I don't know how much production, if any, is is, uh, is coming out of that one. I think they opened that up after the Heineken thing and they were hoping to kind of use that to just to hit Mexico. But I think, uh, yeah, just to reiterate your point, Tim, yeah, they, they are definitely a chill group of people. Um, and you know, that sort of vibe, I, I think carries through through all their, all their breweries. If you go to one in Chicago or not, even down here in Azusa, which is, uh, uh, just outside of LA, uh, they, they definitely have that, that vibe going. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Lagunitas has a special place in my heart, maybe yours, yours, Patrick and Tim too, but you know, what, what was, what's fun about that brewery is at Buffalo Wild Wings, we kind of told those guys, Hey man, you guys got a really good beer in, in Lagunitas IPA. And, and, uh, you know, we'd love to take, we'd love to put you on every, every tap and, and run a promotion. And, uh, we worked with a guy named Jim Randall there who's a, who's a stand-up guy. And, uh, we took, uh, we got, we pushed them to get, Lagunitas in every all fifty states, so which is kind of a cool deal. Uh, so Jim helped get us get that done for us, and and uh, we got Lagunitas and on promotion and on tap everywhere at Buffalo Wild Wings, and and then what that allowed us to do is uh, we did a collaboration beer, which I think Tim, that's what Tim and I talked a little bit about that um, uh, before the podcast is that we, you know, collaboration beers had kind of been this you know this hot thing, and, and Buffalo Wild Wings had done one with with Red Hook and. Uh, had some success, but that one had kind of was riding into the sunset a little bit, and we were looking for uh, sort of a new spin on on that program. And and so we now that we had that partnership with Lagunitas, and they were in all of our restaurants, we said, "Hey guys, you know, would you would you be willing to do a, a beer for us?" And they had this program called Fusion, and essentially what the program was was you know taking this an idea or some some creativity and and trying to put it into into a beer, into a bottle or a keg. And, and so they said, Hey, we got this program that we can, we can have you guys be a part of and, and let's brew a beer for, for Buffalo Wild Wings. And, um, and so we signed up for that. We were fusion 39 and obviously Buffalo Wild Wings was, you know, all about wings and beer and sports. And so we, we sort of took that as a guiding light and, and we talked to our consumers and Hey, what kind of beer beers do you guys, you know, like, and we obviously had, um, some, some knowledge from the Red Hook Game Changer beer that we had brewed with those guys. And uh, we ended up brewing a hoppy pale wheat ale, which 
Um, as Tim mentioned, this is sort of, you know, Lagunitas something, something is sort of, uh, that type of beer. And, and so we took some inspiration from little something, something and, and said, Hey, well, if we're going to give, we're going to give guests, um, 22 ounces of it at a time, maybe we should dial back the ABV a little bit from seven and a half. And maybe we should, we should look at the, the IBUs a little bit and, and make it a little bit more sessionable. So we came up with, uh, Fandom Ale is what we called it. We released it in November of 2016, right in the you know heart of major sports seasons going on. I think we had every major sport going on at, at that time, and um, uh, did really well for us. It was a limited release, so lasted into January and, and did really well. I will uh, I will say if I you know if I can share a story about just brewing that beer, we worked with their innovation brewer up in Petaluma, and you know as the Cerveza straight shooter. Um, we went out there in in the spring to do our test batch and they had a, a hundred barrel system. So, you know, that's a good chunk of beer. And hot. yeah, and but that was their that was their innovation system and so that we had one chance to sort of brew a beer, dial it in and then go to the production in the fall. And so, you know, as the Cerveza straight shooter, I'm flying out to Petaluma and I'm thinking, Hey, we're gonna get into a boardroom. We're going to talk about the hops and the malt and the, you know what yeast and all that all that stuff and and we get there and and the brewery is is very outdoors except for you know the brewery function but they you know so we we sit down and we have a beer um, and then we have another beer and I keep asking well what are we going to do this boardroom what are we going to talk about this beer and and over the two days we we never really did that um, but then we got, <laughs> and, uh, so that was a little uh, unnerving from the Cerveza straight shooter, but, uh, but yeah, they're a very chill group that, that makes some really great beer. Uh, Ron, uh, who is Tony's right hand man did share the, the story of, of the undercover shutdown ale. Um, and so, yeah, that was a lot of fun and, uh, yeah, they're a good group of people. Again, very chill. They've, they've, they certainly, uh, have, have brewed some really good beers and little something, something is, is a testament to, to their brewing capabilities, certainly. So. That's my story, Tim. Back to you, buddy. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, Patrick, Nate, you'll you'll recognize kind of the the method of of tasting that we do. Uh, we start off with with appearance. So, hopefully, you guys have got your beer poured and, and ready to go, and you're taking a look at that thing. I finished, I finished my entire beer while Nate told that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to start over. I was getting a little parched. <laughs> so, so uh, just give me your guys' kind of impressions on, on what you're seeing there for for appearance. Uh, so I'll I'll start, I guess. Um, it's a nice golden color, um, similar to uh, what what you we've seen in the past and some of the other beers that we've done. The difference in this one is while it is mostly clear i see i don't know maybe i'm hoping it's not just mine but uh there's stuff floating in my beer there's some some bits of something kind of floating around in there suspended in the solution um but you know it looks like beer it's you know crisp colored golden you know beer looking and relatively clear I don't have anything, I don't have anything floating around in mine. Uh, no little something something floating around in my little something something. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's remarkable. Yeah, it could be, and it's remarkably clear for me. There's really no haziness to it all. 
like some of the hazy IPAs we've done before. Uh, and like he said, it like if you want to say what looks like a beer, this would pretty much be your textbook of what a beer should look like. All right. Um, so maybe my daughter washed my glass poorly. I don't know. <laughs> You got a little bit of stuff going on there. Well, you also, we found, can't always find as fresh a beer as maybe we ought to. There, there could be a challenge with things starting to, some lack or some, some well, stability. And, and am I the only one that's drinking it out of a can? So that was Yeah, I got a bottle. Yeah, I actually wanted to, to ask about that because Patrick and I were talking before we got started here about uh, how he's always drinking it out of a can. Right. So in Southern California, I assume, but both JT and I are probably getting um, our beer from Chicago. I don't know. I, I yep. haven't been. Nate, do you know if they have a canning line or just a bottling line in Chicago, or do you have any idea? I don't know. I want to say they do. I, you know, essentially what the Chicago brewery does is it it fulfills everything east, you know, sort of Midwest and east, and I think they even go west of Chicago a little bit. And the Petaluma Brewery you know, essentially produces beer for the West Coast because California is their number one market. So it pumps out a lot of, you know, they pump out a lot of beer for California. So I would imagine, Tim, that um, if you guys are, if you had to drink a can, it's to come from Chicago. I, I would imagine anything yeah. you guys are come from Chicago. Yeah, so JT and I both have bottles. But that's all I can find when I'm out I, here. I drink this beer all the time. It's like my pool beer during the summer and the even the, the grocery store and the liquor store in my town. Uh, they always have like big displays of 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 something something, but it's always in the twelve pack cans, mm-hmm. huh. which is which is very pool friendly. I got mine in six pack cans. So let's let's move on to uh, the aroma part. What are you guys? Don't stick your nose in there. What are you guys getting out of all that? I want to say piney before JT does. Once again, once again, this time of year, it's hard for me to smell much of anything with pollen and allergies and all that, but definitely a little bit of piney, uh, maybe clean, but this time of year, my sense of smell is very much not correct. So my apologies. Yeah. How about, uh, how about our guest? Nate, I thought you got a pretty good whiff out of that. What are you kind of getting out of there? Yeah. I mean, you get... You sort of get that like citrusy component that, and sort of dank. You know, I don't know if it's dank. I know that's reserved for some other beers, but you sort of get that marijuana type type sniff. You know, coming through the nose. But uh, yeah, I get you know a little pine, a little citrus. Uh, you know, I get a lot of earthy earthy notes from you know more of that sort of marijuana inspiration that comes from these guys. I get pine cones and gopher balls. <laughs> so that might, the latter might be Minnesota. <laughs> gopher balls? <laughs> you know how much maroon and yellow I've seen here this weekend? I forgot how much this, this whole city just bleeds maroon. I know you got. I know you're Iowa State, but yeah, close. Uh, no, it is. It, Every once in a while, I'll see a maroon and gold, and it'll take me a second to set a, a siphon or a gopher thing, just because uh, some of the cardinal stuff starts to shift a little bit that way, and some of the maroon stuff. But just but, before you judge me, remember, no one is ever wrong with what they smell, right? Tim's <laughs> <laughs> shaking his head like he did when he worked with me back in the <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> this is bringing back a lot of memories. Maybe not all of it. I'm just hanging out the, the, the test bar drinking Avery. But when you guys sure. when you guys recap this podcast, Tim's gonna be like, God, he tried to just ruin this whole tasting. <laughs> well, uh, all right, we well, tr- we trying to ruin the podcast every week, so yeah. <laughs> no problem. All right, well, let's move on to taste. So we kind of talk about taste, mouthfeel, and finish kind of all in one since they all kind of interact. Uh, but making sure we're kind of calling out each of those aspects on there. So Aaron, what are you getting? Um, so I definitely get that that bitterness, right? The uh, the sharpness, I guess, is maybe the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to hit more um, toward the front. The tongue, uh, the, the tip of the tongue, more than once it goes to the toward the back, um, you know, it gets a little, a little smoother as it goes, and it also gives me a, the, uh, a bit of a good retro nasal tingle as it goes by. Uh, picking up terms from Tim as we go along <laughs> the podcast here, retro nasal. Um, but yeah, no, it's. I mean, that's the basics of, of what I get out of it is that I'm really forward with that, that bitterness at the beginning. For something so high on the ABV and IBU scale, it's remarkably smooth. Because mm-hmm. you think something that would be 6.420, IBUs would be really sharp, as, as Aaron said. It's really not. I mean, it doesn't really punch you in the face with the hops, the hoppiness, or taking you a I've spent a lot of time at my favorite watering hole, and they've had the Food Network on all week, so it doesn't really take you to Flavor Town. Uh, <laughs> but it's just really good, smooth, easy drinking beer, which is crazy because it's seven point five percent, and you can get yourself into trouble real quickly. As I, I can attest to. I could not agree more. I was going to call this a danger beer. Like, good lord, I, yeah. Because I do drink this a lot by the pool. You know, you got the cans; they're cold in the cooler, right by the pool, and you start drinking it and you got to respect it because the seven and a half ABV creeps up quick on you. And, uh, I get to that third one. And if I'm not pacing myself, my wife is reminding me not to dive in the shallow end. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and an FYI, JT, Flavor Town, Flavor Town is right next door to Petaluma. Uh, if you know that. Cause oh, really? Guy Fieri is from Santa Rosa, which is about 20 miles north of Petaluma. Okay. Gotcha. Santa Rosa, home of Russian River that we previously talked about in mm. another podcast. Awesome town if you get a chance to go. And from, uh, a mar- from a marketing standpoint, if you run a bar or a restaurant, have one TV on the Food Network all the time, no matter what's on, it looks really good and makes people hungry. So that if I ever ran a restaurant, I would just have one TV dedicated to the Food Network all day, 24-7. I would probably also be 100 pounds heavier at this point. Thanks for the tips because we are going to do that at Applebee's right now. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking about the number of times I'd go to a Buffalo Wazings after lunch, and I'm like, why are they showing this infomercial? Change it to something else. <laughs> why are they showing Days of Our Lives? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm in it for the stories, okay? <laughs> well, I know. I thought that would make me want to drink. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Nate, what are you kind of getting from a, a taste, a mouthfeel, and a finish there? Yeah, I think the taste is sort of, we sort of covered it. I think, uh, you know, from a mouthfeel and finish, I, you know, I think it sort of, you know, sort of lingers, which is cool. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of beers that are very crisp and finish and you want to, you want another sip. This one kind of lingers a little bit. And I think there's a bitterness that kind of, 
stays with you sort of towards the back of, you know, your, your mouth. And, um, but, I, and there's sort of a coating that happens over your tongues, which I think you get from the wheat, you know, in, in this beer different than maybe some other IPAs, but, um, but yeah, it's a damn good beer. And, uh, I've, I've gone through two. I'm on my, I'm on my third. So it's, uh, you know, as in terms of finish, you definitely want to have another drink. So that's good. That's my, my mouthfeel finishes. Don't go diving into the shallow end now. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've always enjoyed working with Nate because he comes up with the wheat stuff on the tongue. I would not do that. I he's he's got he he is he schools me on the tasting of beers. My go-to uh, is you, always it tastes like beer, so <laughs> I, I don't have a sophisticated I'm, palate. I'm I'm more with you then. Yeah, I mean this is definitely um, maybe not quintessential, but it's definitely more of that. West Coast style IPA that really started to pop up in the '90s and has come through. Where you know it's it's clear, it's 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 not as sweet as like a Northeast, but it is definitely a fuller bodied. I know Tony really likes to talk about how this one coats your mouth and is kind of silky smooth. Those those types of things going on with this one, but definitely does with that high IBU and that that decent bitterness and that alcohol cutting through that bitterness, you know, that's one of the things that makes that bitterness not so aggressive is is that high ABV. So that's where it gets kind of doubly bitter. Um, But yeah, Nate, I I love the, the catch of kind of how it sits on your tongue and it's not, you know, crisp. Crisp is always one of those words I think is hard for people to define. And this is an example of, okay, well, this isn't crisp, but that doesn't mean that it's not, you know, full of flavor and, and uh, again, something where you're going to have a second one. So, yeah. Yeah, more third. I got two more in the fridge, so. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked at the untapped notes on it and it said both uh, strong and light, which is, you would think couldn't be possible. But I definitely think it is a very strong beer, but it also is very light at the same time. So, so it's the aluminum of beer. There you go. <laughs> Aluminium. It's a Nate Grover of beer. Oh. <laughs> wow. Shot fired. But, uh, you know, overall, it's it's another, you know, we haven't gone off the rails on any of the beers we've picked. We've picked beers that, to this point that have been pretty, pretty safe bets of being pretty good. Um, this is another very good beer. Um like I said, you, you can drink it, you can sit outside, it's got lots of applications of when and how you could probably drink this beer. Um, so um, overall, I uh, would definitely drink it again because I've drank it multiple times uh, over the years, and uh, uh, it's a really, just a really classic kind of craft beer, right? Yeah. 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 And I, I got an example of a wheat beer that JT likes. There you go. If you told me it was a wheat beer beforehand, I probably would have liked it. As you said, with marketing before, he labeled right. something in his IPA and it sells better. So, yep. I, don't, I went last night to uh, a local thing called Twisted Vine and they had a wheat beer and just wasn't my palate. Everyone else loved it, but just the, I don't know, almost has a waxy taste to me, which is a really bad way to describe, but just hits the front of my tongue wrong and just does not mix well with my palate at all. But, to each their own. So, yeah. And I, I can't 
talked to Twisted Design, but one of the things that kind of uh, we talked about before is there are a, a lot of breweries out there that aren't necessarily making great beer. So sometimes it's kind of hard to be able to go out there and, and you know, especially if, if you're new, that's one of the struggles for me as, as a brewer is, you know, if I go to a brewery and I can see this is not a great example of the style, that's one thing. But then for Joe consumer walking in the door or Jill consumer walking in the door, if they're not familiar with that style, I, they don't know that that's a terrible example of that style. And, and how do you, how do you get them uh, to try it again somewhere else? So it's, it's always a challenge for sure. Sure. All right. Well, Tim, I'm actually going to let you wind down the podcast this week uh, so that you can say goodbye to your friends and plug the <laughs> podcast and stuff. And I'm, uh, I'm going to continue to drink and uh, let you have the rest of the, whatever time we got left. Wow. I don't know that I actually believe that since the last time you offered that, you went ahead and cut me off anyway, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, uh, Nate, Patrick, anything else you want to say? You got a SoundCloud you want to, you want to plug? Anything you want, you want to add? Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. It's my first podcast. So thanks for breaking me in. And, um, I've had a couple of these now, so I feel like a million bucks (laughs) and I hope after your guys' 1000th episode, you guys make a million bucks too. Sweet. After (laughs) after you you drink two or three more, you and Tim can record an after the pod episode, uh, you know, like an after dark episode. After the uh, pod, the wheels come off. That's right. And we'll put, we'll put that up too. Sponsored by Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. Jedi barbecue, is that what it's called? Jedi. Jedi. Yeah. Jedi. <laughs> Jedi barbecue, though. You just created a new company. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, yeah, my, my first time on the podcast, too. Thanks thanks for having me. Uh, I'm two hours behind, I think, most of you guys, so I'm going to take a nap. After <laughs> and I'm happy that nobody uh, hit us up for being a sponsor. So. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, thank you yeah. for inviting us. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a blast. Yeah, good to see you guys, meet you guys, good to see you again, Tim. Always good to talk to you with you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, we want to thank Jedi Barbecue Sauce, our sponsor. We want to encourage you to visit the tailgatesociety.com as well as listen to all of the Tailgate Society podcasts. Uh, drunk dialing, we're not that drunk. Culture checks, sports and corks. I always want to call that sports and corks. Sports and corks. Matinee baseball. Uh, again, thank you very much to our guests, Patrick Kurt and Nate Grover, and we will see you guys next time.